from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta. Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Our New Testament reading today comes from the first chapter of Galatians and can be found on page 176 of your Pew Bible. Listen for and hear the word of God. For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel that was proclaimed by me is not of human origin. For I did not receive it from a human source, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. You have heard, no doubt, of my earlier life in Judaism. I was violently persecuting the Church of God and was trying to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my people, among my people of the same age, for I was far more zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. But when God, who had set me apart before I was born and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might proclaim him among the Gentiles, I did not confer with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were already apostles before me, but I went away at once into Arabia, and afterwards I returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. But I did not see any other apostle except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you, before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard it said, The one who formerly was persecuting us is now proclaiming the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. As a primer uh, to prayer, I'd like to say something again about this piece, Navajo Vocable, number 12 by Connor Chi that we just heard brilliantly played. Uh, Connor Chi is part of the Navajo Nation, and he is an accomplished pianist and composer, and one of the things he felt called to do was to capture the traditional songs of the Navajo Nation, songs that he remembers his grandfather would sing, and uh, capture them through notation and instrumentation like we heard uh, today to pass on these songs to the next generation in a different way. And I think what we do in worship is, is similar. We're, we're taking the songs of the past, the scriptures, the worship, the prayers, uh, texts like we heard read from Florida, from Galatians, and we're seeking by God's grace to retell those stories in our lives. And so my hope and my prayer is we put ourselves under this text from Galatians that 
God's grace would do just that and work in and through God's word. Let us pray. Lord, break open this ancient word afresh so we may hear it in a different way and so that we would become different people, even to be more like our Lord, our Savior, our friend, and our brother, Jesus of Nazareth. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. If you weren't with us uh, last week, we launched into a summer sermon series on Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia. It was written uh, in the mid-first century, probably right around 50 A.D., And again, if you weren't with us last week, what Paul does in the opening lines and stanzas of this letter is express his deep, deep concern that the churches were uh, regressing back to what he called another gospel. You see, there were Jewish Christian missionaries, most likely from Jerusalem, who had followed Paul after he had left these churches in Galatia, and they were proclaiming a pretty mainstream theological conviction that if a Gentile wanted to become a Christian, they had to first become a Jew. I say it's mainstream, and it's important for you to know that it's mainstream, because up until the time of Jesus' resurrection, his ascension into heaven, the season and gift of Pentecost, that the dominant theological conviction, as Christianity was emerging principally through Jewish communities, that if a Gentile wanted to affiliate, if the Gentile wanted to be part of the household of God, then they needed to become a Jew first which meant that the men had to be circumcised, that everyone had to to follow the Torah and its 613 laws, and everybody had to observe the Sabbath. The Apostle Peter, Cephas, is his other name. We heard him referenced in the text of Florida Red. Peter uh, was one of the great proponents of this uh, theological concept. He himself, a follower of Jesus, a Jew uh, who uh, becomes part of the way as one of his disciples, says that if a Gentile wants to be a Christian, they have to first become a Jew. Of course, those who know his story, they know in, in Acts chapter 10 that he has his own sort of conversion experience where the walls that he once put up in place come crumbling down. But it's important to know at this juncture, contextually speaking, that Paul, even though we know him as an insider, right? We know Paul as sort of the the, the center of, of Christian identity, at least as he articulates the gospel and what it means for the world. But in this particular moment, as he's writing in 50 AD, he's on the fringe. He's the outsider. He is marginalized because he is proclaiming a gospel with no strings attached. He's proclaiming a gospel with no caveats. He's proclaiming a gospel with no stipulations or conditions. He's saying, look, a Gentile does not need to become a Jew in order to become a Christian. And for Paul, there was no other gospel. There was no other gospel. 
And we talked about how Paul articulates the gospel uh, last week, and I want to do it again because there is a certain level of clarity that Paul delivers, a clarity that I think we need right now in a day and age where so many people want to put strings attached, who want to put conditions on the gospel. Paul says, look, the gospel is the good news that human beings are set in right relationship with God because of the faith of Jesus Christ. They're set in right relationship with God, not because of anything that we've done or not even because we've believed something, but because God believed something. And Jesus Christ did something that liberates us from the power and the fear of death and fear itself. That we no longer have to be afraid in this life or afraid of the age to come. The gospel is the good news that God has poured out God's Holy Spirit on all flesh and has encouraged us to produce good fruit in the world. And within this new spirit-formed and spirit-led community, the things that once separated people, the barriers that were once built between people, have now been annihilated by God's grace. Because what God intends to do is to create one human family. What God intends to do is to make us all one under the lordship of Christ. The good news, Paul says, is that we are truly free. Free not to do whatever we want to do, but free to be faithful. We're free to be faithful and we're free to be fully alive. Free to be devoted to the one who has set us free. According to Paul, that's the gospel. There are no strings attached. There's no additional layer that needs to be put on top of it. I said last week towards the end of the sermon that the gospel doesn't need our help. What makes us think that the gospel needs our help to add a string, to add a condition, to add a stipulation? Well, yeah, all that's true, but there's more to the story. No, the gospel doesn't need our help to make it more prophetic, to make it more righteous, to make it more just to make it more peaceable, to make it more inclusive. There is no other gospel, says Paul, than the one proclaimed in and through Jesus Christ. Now as we move to this next section of the letter, the the, the portion which we heard read again just a moment ago, ago, Paul is making the case as to why he should not be considered an outlier. He's basically making a case of why his version of the gospel should be brought to center, away from the margins and brought to center. He's making the case of why the term apostle actually applies to him. Now, when Florida read this text, if if you felt like Paul sounded a bit arrogant, sometimes he sounds a bit arrogant. Uh, If you felt like he was at least a bit defensive, you're right. You're not missing anything. He is defensive in this text because at this time, He felt he needed to defend himself because there were rumors being started about him. There was a smear campaign. People were trying to slander him and to continue to marginalize him and to push him to the side. In fact, there were ancient texts. I mean, there were letters written. He's not the only person who's writing in the ancient Christian world. There are Jewish Christians who are writing various churches, and we still have fragments of these letters. We know that they were written. We know some of the content they had. Some of them called him the enemy man. 
Some of them called him lawless. Some of them called his doctrine and his theology absurd. And these stories actually continued to be told even after his death. That the rumors about Paul continued even after he left this earth. One of the most interesting rumors and stories uh, that was, was told, and I, I didn't know this before I was preparing for this sermon, I found it. It's, it's somewhat Shakespearean, it's somewhat uh, romantic, but it's a totally different version of Paul's story than the one that we know of. And these were just rumors that people were telling to discredit Paul and his ministry. The rumor went like this, that Paul wasn't actually a Jew, that Paul had a Greek mother and a Greek father, and he was totally Hellenistic. He wasn't a Jew. But he fell in love. This is how the story goes. He fell in love with the high priest's daughter. This is a story that's written down. He fell in love with the high priest's daughter. He went to seek her hand in marriage. But the high priest said, well, you're not a Jew. You, you, you can't be married to my daughter. He said, okay, then I'll become circumcised. He says, okay, I'll become a Jew in order to, to win your daughter's hand in marriage. And that's what he does. He becomes circumcised and he affiliates. This is what the story says. And then the high priest said, well, no, you can't marry my daughter. Paul's rebuffed, says the story. And he's so angry. He's so angry that he begins to write against circumcision and having to obey the Sabbath and the Torah and the law of Moses. He had to defend himself from these kinds of slanderous, untrue, fake news kind of stories. And that's what he's doing here. So, for those of us who may see him as a bit defensive here, I'm certainly sure that we can understand for any of us who have been subject to a rumor, any of us who have ever had to fend off defamation or discreditation, any of us who have ever had to set the record straight about who we are, about our motives and intentions, you can understand the urgency of Paul in this moment. That we can cut him a little bit of a break for how defensive he is because he's been put on the defense by these rumors and innuendo and these fake news stories about who he was. And so that's what he's doing here in 11 to 24. That's the context. He's trying to set the record straight and he does so by offering this concise uh, sort of process that he has gone through himself. It's his testimony. It's his witness. It's, it's the revelation that he received from Christ. It's his conversion. Uh, and it's his purpose. It's his mission. All contained in these 14 verses. Despite the rumors going around, Paul says, I'm actually Jewish. I know people are saying I'm not, but I actually am. Not only that, I'm actually an ardent and zealous Jew. So zealous, so ardent, so fervent that I was persecuting Christians. I was killing them. Until one day I was on, uh, on my way to Damascus when all of a sudden I was blinded by light. I heard the voice of Jesus of Nazareth himself saying, Paul, why do you persecute me? And all of a sudden his life changes his world gets turned upside down and inside out. He was transformed and he's given a new mission. Now I want us to pay special attention and this will help us sort of uh, make it to the finish line with the sermon this morning. I, I want us to pay specific attention to the process that he describes that really is the process or the building block of the Christian life. And it can be framed, I think, with three words. Words that are part of the subtext of the sermon this morning. 
the sermon title rather, this morning. The word revelation, the word conversion, and the word proclamation. This is the essence of, of Paul's process, right? He receives a revelation from God. He meets Christ himself. He is converted. He's changed. And he now takes on a different purpose, a different meaning uh, in his life. And what I want to suggest to you this morning is that that process of revelation, conversion, and proclamation or purpose is not reserved for people we meet in the Bible. It's, it's, it's not reserved for the super spiritual or the super Christian or the religious elite. It's actually the process that every Christian experiences. And what's important is to say that this is not just a one-time experience. You know, I know in our day and age, uh, especially with religious vocabulary, Christian vocabulary, we hear the word conversion, and Presbyterians get a little, ooh, don't like that word very much, don't know what that means. We affiliate it with an evangelical kind of way of talking about the faith, and oftentimes we think of it as this one-time experience, that I was converted at this particular time, in this particular moment. Well, in our community, we actually have a value as part of our, 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 our values that make and shape our community. We have a value called continual conversion. Because what we believe is that you're not just converted once, but that you are continually converted. When you say, I want to follow Jesus Christ, and when you want to rely on his grace and on his way of justice, love, and mercy, that, that we're continually formed in his likeness and in his image. It's not just like it happens once and the book is closed and we've graduated and we're done. So we value that, that value of continual conversion. And, and this process, right, this process of, of revelation, conversion, and proclamation or purpose, it, it happens again and again and again. And that's how the Christian life actually grows, process upon process, Revelation, conversion, proclamation, or purpose, again and again and again. And that process, and I think Paul is trying to help us understand this, that process is what gives us our sense of Christian identity. That process is what gives us our sense of Christian identity. I, I know a man um, from another congregation who is a Vietnam veteran. I know we have a lot of Vietnam veterans in our church. Uh, the horrors of that war... Uh, left deep and abiding pain in his life as he saw combat during that conflict. Um, and after the conflict, he dealt, like many who served, with PTSD. He carried a bitterness and a hardness and an anger until one day another Vietnam veteran invited him to go back to, of all places, Vietnam to go back to Vietnam with some other vets. And he said, why in the world would I want to go back to Vietnam? Why would I want to go back to that place of violence and death and, and horror? And his friend said, because I believe there's a chance that you're going to experience God there. And if you're open to it, I think you might just find the healing and the liberation that you've been longing for. That was enough to have him book a flight and go. When he arrived with this group of veterans, the veteran that was leading it took him to places where he had once fired a gun 
where buildings and death, buildings on fire and death reigned. Now, in his own sight, he saw life and vibrancy and families and community. He was taken to a, a Christian church where the Vietnamese people who were part of that church embraced him and welcomed him. And, and in a moment of, of euphoria, he, in this worship service, experienced Christ's welcome in a way that he had never experienced it before his entire life. He said in that moment, it was like the greatest burden I had been carried, carrying rather was, was lifted, that the hurt and hardness of heart dissipated, and I became a new person. When he came home, he told his friend, I want to do this again, and I want to help lead other vets to find the healing that I have felt. You see the process, revelation, seeing Christ for the first time or, or in a new way, conversion, something happens inside of us by grace that we're changed, and then proclamation or purpose where we have something new born in us that we have a passion for, that we're committed to. On this uh, Father's Day, I'm also thinking of, of Katie's grandfather, Reverend Edwin Miller. Uh, he was a wonderful Christian man who possessed, um, how do I want to say it, a more conservative theological worldview. He was a Baptist. He was a Baptist pastor, and he, and he never affirmed, never affirmed the ordination of women to the pastorate. And so one Thanksgiving, when Katie announced that she was feeling called by God to seminary to become ordained as a pastor, she had no idea how her beloved grandfather would respond a few days later, Katie received a letter in the mail from Grandpa Miller, and it celebrated her call and affirmed where the Holy Spirit was leading her. And what is more, and he used these words, he said, I received a revelation. I encountered Christ in, in a new way that has upset what I had previously believed because what I believed was far too small of a kingdom vision. And from that day until the day he died, he was her champion, championing that call to ministry. Revelation, seeing Christ for the first time or in a new way. Conversion, a spiritual change that takes place within us. Proclamation, an emerging purpose born from what Christ has revealed. I know a young woman who never in a million years could have seen herself being part of a mission trip through her church. She never considered herself as one possessing uh, cross-cultural competency. In fact, by her own account, she grew up in a household that implicitly and explicitly told her to fear the other. It was a sheltered home, per her description. Even so, the church that she was a part of was having a mission trip to, to Kenya. She was a, 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 an older high school student at the time, and, and she felt called by God to go. It was a huge risk for her. After everything she had been taught and everything that had been formed in her, her own fear was a huge risk. And when she went to Kenya, 
In her own words, she described experiencing the Holy Spirit in a new and profound way. It was there that she learned to be vulnerable with the other. It was there that she learned how to submit to the other as a learner. It was there that she learned to love the other and to be loved by the other. And she went on many other uh, mission trips after that. And she continues to have a deep sense of call to ministries that build bridges, that extend tables, and promote the ministry of reconciliation, both here and abroad. Revelation, right? Seeing Christ for the first time or seeing Christ in a new way. Conversion, a spiritual change that takes place within us. Proclamation, an emerging purpose born from what Christ has revealed to us. It's not a one and done experience. It's a process that is, in fact, the building blocks of a mature Christian faith. Now, I was going to close the sermon in my, as I was doing my notes, I was going to close the sermon right here. But I realized that, that, that those within the sound of my voice will, 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 some will say, you know, that makes a lot of sense. Revelation, conversion, proclamation, that process of, of building the Christian life. That makes a lot of sense. But preacher, I haven't had a lot of revelation these days in my life. It seems for me that God's been muted or God's been hidden or, 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 or Christ's uh, voice has, has been silenced in my life. For some, it seems like Christ is veiled in mystery. We know that you can't have purpose or proclamation without conversion. You can't have conversion without revelation. But the revelation ain't coming these days for me. And so if you're in that place, and I realize that not everybody's in that place, but I want to speak specifically to those in that place where things seem to be veiled, at least in your relationship with Christ. The first thing I want to say is you are not alone. It's totally normal. Some saints of the past call it the dark night of the soul. Some call it the dark season of the soul. When revelation is hard to hear, it's hard to see. Know that it's okay to be in that space and that you're not alone. The second thing is, is to deepen a commitment to deepen a commitment to regular worship and, and prayer and scripture reading. Because we believe that in that discipline, in that practice, that God is still speaking, that the scriptures aren't a dead word, but they're a word that's fresh and alive. And that can move us and change us and convert us and give us a a sense of, of purpose. So make those practices regular in your own faith life. And finally, this one's going to take more of a risk. If you are finding yourself where Christ's revelation is veiled to you in this season, take a risk and invite somebody else into that space. Maybe it's a spiritual director. Maybe it's a a pastor, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a, a colleague, someone who, who you have a sense that, that could really bring a gift to you in this season of your life where, where clarity could perhaps come, where they could help you see, where they could help you hear what Christ is trying to say to you. That's a big risk. You have to be vulnerable to do that, but I'd encourage you to invite somebody in if you're in that season of faith. And finally, remember the words from Lamentations 3.25 from the Hebrew Bible. It says, The Lord is good to those who wait for God. The Lord is good to those who wait for God. 
to the soul that seeks the Lord. Don't stop seeking the revelation. Even if your spiritual life is dry, even if you feel distant, even if God's voice is muted, continue to seek the Lord. For in that journey, we believe and we hope that God will speak to us once more, that God will reveal God's self to us so that we may be changed to be more like Christ and we may have a deeper sense of our place in this world and on this planet and the purposes to which we've been called. May it be so for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the world and all of God's people say, Amen.